Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. Would you open your Bibles to Psalm 116? Just as a reminder, I announced on um, Sunday, but uh, coming up in February, we're going to start having a Foundations Bible study. Um, it's geared towards new believers, but it's not just for new believers. It's going to be looking at foundations of our faith um, and kind of the basics of what we believe as Christians about the Bible, about the Lord, about walking with Him, all of that. So that's going to be first and third Sunday nights, so opposite from when prayer is, um, and that'll be upstairs. So I have a sign-up sheet in the foyer, so on Sunday, if you're here you could, and you're interested, sign up. Um, I'd like for whoever wants to come to sign up because we're going to have some materials for whoever's coming. So uh, just to make sure we have enough um, and everything. So Psalm 116 um, is where we're going to be. Before we get there, though, Dan wanted me to touch a little bit on Psalm 118. Um, but let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we thank you for tonight. Lord, thank you for that time of worship. Uh, Lord, it just fits just hand in glove with your word and, and what we're looking at here tonight. I pray as we study, as we look at these things, that you would continue to speak to our hearts, Lord, that we would uh, just have our ears open to what you have to say to us, Lord, that tonight it would truly be a night of just us remembering um, how much you've done for us, being thankful for your work for us, Lord, and that we would have just a, a renewing of uh, our gratitude and thanksgiving towards you for who you are and what you've done, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. So Psalm 118, as Dan taught um, last week, uh, was that last week? I believe that was. Um, there were a few things that jumped out to me as I was looking at that. I hope, you know, uh, I guess you can't really do it, but if you come here early, you can see what psalm we're doing. You have a little bit of time to read ahead. Um, but, you know, on Sundays and everything, you kind of know where we're going to be, and it's good for you to spend some time in the Word ahead of time before coming on Sunday, looking at the text we're going to be in, um, because the Lord can really open up for you as you are hearing the teaching and confirming the things that he spoke to you in your own heart as you were studying, reading on your own time. Um, there's just this thing that happens. And so I had known b before that Dan was going to be teaching Psalm 118. So I had done my own little study here. Um, and it just kind of went right along with what Dan shared. So if you remember uh, last week, Psalm 118, it really looks forward at all these different episodes in um the life of Jesus on the earth and his work where you see um, just what he's doing. But one of the other things that really jumped out to me is that in Psalm 118, you have all throughout it this repeating of these, these phrases and these uh, mentions that point directly to Jesus, not just things that he did prophetically, but look at... Um, well, we know verse one, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. If you look at uh, 
verses 2, 3, and 4, it repeats that line, his mercy endures forever, his mercy endures forever, his mercy endures forever. And that word mercy, I taught a few weeks back, is that, that Hebrew word hesed, and it's unconditional love and grace. It has that, that, that same uh, uh, meaning pointing towards what we see in the New Testament and the mercy that we experience as believers comes from Jesus, right? We see his work on the cross. So here you have three times, really four, um, where Jesus and his work mentioned directly, the Lord working through his son Jesus to bring us that. And you have let Israel now, now say those ruled by God. Um, the house of Aaron, the priests now say, and then those who fear the Lord to open up to all the Gentiles, pointing to Jesus. And then you see, uh, uh, if you look at 5, 6, and 7, you see the Lord answered me. The Lord is on my side. The Lord is for me. And again, that's Jesus in each and every one of those. Jesus being the answer of the Lord. Jesus being the, when the Lord is on our side, he's working for us. And the Lord being for us is Jesus. Again, it points all directly to Jesus. And then you see, if you jump down to uh, verse 10, it says, all nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, the Shem of Yahweh. And then uh, verse 11, it says, in the name of the Lord. Verse 12, in the name of the Lord. And all of that, again, points directly to Jesus, the name of the Lord, the word of the Lord. You see in verse 13, the Lord helped me. And then Verse 14, it says, the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. In the Hebrew, that literally means, or says, Yahweh Shua, Jesus' name, Yeshua, Yahweh Shua. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. And then you see verse 15, 16, you see the right hand of the Lord. Again, that's speaking of Jesus, the right hand of the Lord, the work of the Lord, him working. Uh, and you see uh, verse 20, it talks about the gate of the Lord. Um, it says, this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. And we know what Jesus said in John 14, 6. We talked about it on Sunday. Jesus said, I am the way, right? And also in the New Testament, he says, I am the gate. Verse 21, it says, I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. It's the same thing as up in 14, Yahweh Shua, pointing right to Jesus. And then we have that famous verse, we know the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It's Jesus. And then uh, we see uh, uh, 23 and 24, this was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made, the day of salvation, which speaks of Jesus. And then we see verses 26, 27, we see the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, pointing to Jesus. And verse uh, 27, God is the Lord and he has given us light. Remember John 1, he's the light. Mm -hmm. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. That's speaking of Jesus. And then the last verse, or the last two verses, you are my God and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. So not only is it prophetic, 
but all throughout Psalm 118, it's Jesus, 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 over and over again. So it just, it was, it's so rich when we see that and when we look at that. We're going to see that tonight with Psalm 116. So I got a lot, a lot of ground to cover, so let's read it. it. says, verse 1, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. What a way to start that out. It's just thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. I love the Lord because... Why do we love the Lord? We know 1 John 4.19, it says we love him because he first loved us. That should be the beginning and heart of our praise is, I love the Lord because. What has he done for you? Is your relationship current with the Lord? Are you able to tonight say, I love the Lord because he's done this for me lately. He's done this for me. He's, he's worked on my behalf. For the writer of this psalm, he says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice, that crying out, and my supplication or earnest prayer, earnest reaching out and calling out for help. He heard him because he has inclined or stretched out his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. That word call we'll see throughout Psalm 116, and it's the Hebrew word kara, and it, it's a crying out aloud, calling out, putting, uh, uh, calling out for and, and, and asking for help is what that speaks of. And we'll see that. That's when we see call throughout here. It's all that. It's that verbal, vocal, outward expression of calling on the Lord. And that's what we see here is we see the psalmist, he says, the Lord's heard, I love him. He's heard my cry. He's heard my earnest prayer. He's bent his head down and he's inclined his ear towards me. And because of that, I'm, I'm gonna call upon him as long as I live. It's my vow. I'm vowing to be loyal to him and to follow him. The Lord hears us. In the scriptures, we have that promise that the Lord hears us when we call out to him. Deuteronomy 4.29, it, we see some conditions of how and when the Lord hears us. He hears us when we are fervent, when, when we have that passion and that desire and we're longing for him and we're crying out to him. Deuteronomy 4.29, it says, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and soul. That fervency. Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. The Lord doesn't want us to be half-hearted. He wants us to have an earnest desire. And we have those promises that he hears us when we're fervently, earnestly with our heart and our soul seeking him, searching for him, crying out to him. And you guys know James 5, 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Do we labor in our, in our crying out, in our reaching out to the Lord? You know, oftentimes we're, we're pretty lazy about our prayer where it's kind of like, I'm going to throw this, this request up, Lord, I need help here. And then we just kind of go on and, and then try to figure it out ourselves. When the Lord wants us to be fervently with our heart and our souls seeking him and he hears us when, he, when, when we do that. We, that's what we have with Jesus. He talks about um, the neighbor who comes asking at her neighbor's door and just persistently knocking, please, 
I need this. Persistently asking, I need this. Um, and that's, that's the, the picture we have, this persistency that the Lord wants for us as we're crying out to him and he'll hear us. He hears us when we are humble and contrite. Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, it's that famous passage uh, speaking specifically to Israel, but it applies to us as well. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And it goes on. Isaiah 58, verse 9. Isaiah 58, if you guys haven't read it for a while, AJ and I were talking about it last week. I'd encourage you to just go and read that chapter. Um, beautiful. It's my favorite chapter in Isaiah besides all the other chapters. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's really, it's just beautiful because it's speaking about fasting before the Lord. And it's the Lord saying, don't come to me with your fasts the way you've been doing, where, where you're, you're beating your body down into submission, you're, you're restricting yourself from food, you're doing all these things, you're trying to get me to answer you and to, and to give you, you know, this breakthrough here, and yet you're neglecting all the simple, straightforward obedience to me that you're supposed to have just in your, in your life and your walk. And he talks about taking care of the widows and the poor and the stranger, and, and to show love and grace and compassion. Isaiah 58, verse 9, it says, You shall call, and the Lord will answer you. Uh, you shall cry, and he will say, Here I am, if you take away the yoke from your midst, so that oppression, the pointing of the finger, slander, rumors, gossip, uh, passing the blame, and speaking wickedness. Says if you t if you take away from your midst those things, I'll answer you when you call. You'll cry and I'll say I'm I'm right here. If you take those things away, when we're humble and contrite, the Lord hears. The Lord hears when we're walking in obedience and forgiveness. James five sixteen. We read the last part of that verse, but the first part it says confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When we are in forgiveness towards one another and we're in obedience, uh, confessing our sins and our trespasses to one another, when we have that right relationship with each other, the Lord hears. 1 John 3.22, it says, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. It's not that we, we do those things so that we receive from him, but we do those things because that's who, what we're called to do. And if we're in his will, if we're abiding in him, abiding in his word, abiding in the vine, then w we receive from him what we need and what we're asking for. Because 1 John 5.14 says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if we're in his will, if we're walking in obedience to him, we have no need to worry about what we're asking for. We ask in confidence because we're asking according to his will. And then the last, we're supposed to ask in faith. And the Lord hears us when we ask in faith. 
Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking. I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. That's that instant, thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. Thank you, Lord, for answering. It, it's, it's stepping back and saying, Lord, it may not be the exact thing that I'm asking for, the way I'm asking for it, but I know you hear me, and I know you're answering me, and I trust for your answer. It's that, it's that calm, patient, trusting, asking in faith that the Lord will give us what we need and will work on our behalf. So we're, we're to cry out to the Lord in these things, to be fervent, to be humble, to be obedient, to ask in faith, and he hears us. And, and we have all of these promises, and we can turn around and say, Lord, we love you because you've heard us. You hear us. We love you. And then there's that vow, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. Psalm 145, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. In truth. There's that, that condition. In truth. If you're here tonight, and maybe you've been faking it, maybe you've been just kind of going through the motions, the Lord wants you to be genuine in your faith. To lay aside all these other things that are restraining you, restricting you from following him, and to just call upon him in truth, in honesty, to be true and say, Lord, I need you. I have not been following you. Lord, I need, I need your freedom, your bondage. I need uh, freedom from bondage, your, your release. I need your, your deliverance, Lord, and call upon him in truth and honesty. And when we call upon him, we have that immediate answer. He's near. He's not far away. When we come to him in humility, he's near. It's beautiful for the psalmist here. His past experience that he had because he knew the Lord had answered his past prayers. He knew he could trust him for this time here. And we'll see uh, that this, whatever time, we don't know who wrote this psalm. We don't know uh, when it was written. There are those who believe it was written um, after the captivity in Babylon because there's some Chaldean phrases and spellings in the Hebrew there. But really, we don't know anything about why the original writer wrote this, except for they were in a place where they were in fear for their life, and they were calling out to the Lord and then giving him praise for deliverance. Um, but for this psalmist, his past experiences of seeing that the Lord answered his prayers, gave him the faith to continue to call upon the Lord for this situation and truly for the rest of our li for his, the rest of his life. And it should be the same for us, for us to call out to the Lord. The Lord's heard us. We have the promises. If we've placed our faith in him, I've said it before, but the Lord has dealt with the only two inescapable things in our lives, which is sin and death. He's dealt with those on the cross if we placed our faith in him. That means all the other needs, all the other wants, all the other things, if we call out to him and we're asking according to his will and we're pleading with him, we can trust him that he hears us and will give what we need, give us what we need, and will we'll, we'll bring us through according to his will, according to his plan. He can be trusted. He's trustworthy. And it goes beyond just this settled, okay, Lord, I guess I'll follow you. I guess I'll 
do this, but it goes to what the psalmist started with. I love the Lord, where it turns into, I love you, Lord, because you're hearing me and I can trust you. Look at verse three. It says, the pains of death surrounded me. The pangs of Sheol or hell or the pit laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. That word pains means cords and ropes. It's literally bound up. The, the binding bondage, the cords and ropes of death surrounded him. And the pangs of Sheol, he says, that pangs means tightness, distress. It's this idea of being just squeezed and crushed and pressed in. This heavy oppression of death and the pit. Says those things, uh, the pains of death, they surrounded me. The cords, the ropes, they bound me tight. The pangs, the, the tightness, the distress the, the, the anguish of the pit laid hold of me, and that literally means found me, which is interesting. It turns it around, the psalmist turns it around and says, then I found trouble and sorrow. So he's pressed down. The pangs of Sheol found me, and I found trouble, which again is that same idea. It's a narrow place. Distress, trouble, sorrow is uh, grief, and anguish. It's, it's all these words of just being squeezed and pressed and being pushed down. Just this tight place. Finding nowhere else to go is what the psalmist is saying. It says, even in that spot, verse 4, then I called upon the name of the Lord. He said that he cried out. I called upon the name of the Lord. And this is what he says, O oh Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. In the English, that sounds very fancy, right? Lord, I implore you. Who, who cries that out when you're at the point of death? That's not how you cry out when you're like, I'm, I'm about to die. God, help me. Save me. In the Hebrew, it literally just says, oh, now save me, Lord. That's what it says. Oh, now. It's this exclamation, just this anguish. And it was that, even in that, just that simple crying out to the Lord. That was his faith that the Lord would save him. I called upon the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, deliver my soul. Deliver my soul. For the Hebrews, the soul was not just the inward person. The soul spoke of the entire being of the person. Your body, your, your soul, your spirit, your mind, your personality, all of those things. And the psalmist was saying, Lord, Deliver all of me. Deliver me. The Lord can give us deliverance in all of those areas in our life, our whole entire being. He gives us his word to renew our minds. He gives us his spirit to, to renew our appetites and desires. He gives us uh, the, the commands of the word to walk in our flesh in, in freedom and deliverance and, and to physically be, be following him. And he gives us the healing and the freedom and the bondage uh, from the bondage. I keep saying that. I mean deliverance. I don't know why I have those two words swapped in my head right now. But freedom and deliverance from bondage. And he also, as we've read, he can give us freedom and, and, and healing from sickness as well. Ultimately, we see the, the true and total fulfillment of this when our bodies are glorified, when we're with him, and we have the corruptible changed for the incorruptible, right? 
that's when we have that ultimate deliverance. But in here and now, we can cry out to him, oh Lord, deliver my soul. It's beautiful. Uh, we see this sort of um, crying out echoed in David's writings three different times he writes in a similar manner. Second Samuel 22, he says, when the waves of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid, the sorrows of Sheol surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. In Psalm 18, which is an echo of 2 Samuel 22, he says, The pangs of death surrounded me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. Those times were both after he was rescued from Saul when Saul was trying to kill him. And he cried out to the Lord, and he gives that same picture. Um, And he cries out in those times for the Lord to protect him and to give him deliverance from his enemies, but also to take vengeance on his enemies and ask for that kind of work of the Lord against those who are coming after him. And he does the same in Psalm 55, where he says, my heart is severely pained within me and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. This one was more intimate. This was when he was fleeing his own son, Absalom, in Psalm 55. In all of these, he does that where he's crying out, David's crying out and asking for deliverance for his life from these threats but he calls out and asks for vengeance upon them as well, and then for his personal salvation. In Psalm 116, it's different. And it's different because what we see is just this personal crying out for salvation. It's, it's I don't care about all these other things and these other, you know, I'm not looking for vengeance. I'm not looking for any of these other things. I'm just looking for salvation. It's almost as if this is a deeper and a more oppressive place that this psalmist is in, saying there's nothing else I need but just to be saved. Rescue me. I'm crying out, rescue me. That's the place that we're to be in, not depression, not just overwhelmed by the pains of death and the pangs of Sheol, trouble and sorrow, but this place of just, Lord, I don't care about any of these other things. Just save me with this desperation and this, this place of lowliness where, where all of our other personal agendas and, and ambitions and all those things are just put aside and say, Lord, just save me. Do this work for me. That's the humility that the Lord seeks and desires from us. He'll deal with the other things. There's that hearing that the psalmist talks about. But the place where we come to for that true rescue and salvation is that lowest place where we realize there's nowhere else to go. There's no one else who can save us. There's nothing that can be done for us except for the Lord to save us. And I love that it just flips it right around in verse 5 where he says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. We've seen that throughout the scriptures. The Lord being gracious, righteous, merciful. Just the character and nature of who he is. That's who he is. He shows unmerited favor to us. And at the same time, he's righteous. It doesn't change his character to show grace toward the sinner. It doesn't change who he is to show mercy. He's still righteous. And yet he's one we can call out to for that that grace 
and that mercy. And then it jumps into verse 6, which is beautiful. I love this. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. That word, uh, to preserve, it means to guard, to keep, or to watch over. Or it can also mean simply just to rescue. And uh, then it says that the Lord preserves the simple. And it's our, what our idea is of simple. It's an adjective. Um, um, this is the definition from the word study dictionary. Simple is an adjective meaning foolish, simple-minded. It refers to a person who is naive concerning the complexities and challenges of life, inexperienced, lacking insight. But then when you do a study throughout the scripture of where it talks about the simple, you see that the simple is also made wise by God's words and by his laws. He doesn't leave the simple there. And is also rescued by the Lord like we see here, the simple. The Lord preserves the simple. He guards the simple. That's his grace and his mercy. He, he considers and knows those who are naive, those who, who are acting foolishly and simple-minded. If there's that crying out to him in humility, he preserves, he guards, he has grace. One of the most beautiful pictures of this is actually in Ezekiel uh, 45. Uh, in verse 20, it's talking about the temple sacrifices during the millennial kingdom. So this is after Jesus says, come and he's dealt with the antichrist and he's he's um ended the seven-year tribulation he's established his kingdom in israel literally on the earth and and now there are these sacrifices that are called for that we read about in in the book of ezekiel and one of the sacrifices that's supposed to happen is that um, the blood of the sacrifice uh, is supposed to be spread on the doorposts and the lintel of the temple to cleanse the temple for those who have come in who are the simple, who may have ignorantly sinned or had some naivety about their behavior, and yet they were coming to the Lord in worship, and it was to provide a way for them to still come and worship despite those sins of ignorance or those other things. It's a picture of the Lord's grace in that time period. Where, where the temple is, is dealt with and cleansed for that, those things. That picture of God's grace, is just, it, it blows me away. Because we so often we think of his righteousness and holiness, and, and we know truly that he's perfect and holy, and there's no, no righteousness that can stand in his presence. And yet we see because of the work of Jesus and because of what he's done for us, that he's covered over all of those things. He covers over those, those things where we're simple and we're foolish. I know how many times that, that we've done stupid and foolish things since becoming a Christian, and yet the Lord still loves us. The Lord is patient towards us, compassionate. He's long-suffering. He, he doesn't just strike us dead as soon as we make a mistake as Christians or abandon us or any of those things. His grace and long-suffering is shown. That's what we see throughout the scriptures. And that's that picture. The Lord preserves the simple. Now, if the foolish and the simple is prideful in that foolishness against the Lord, then there's the resistance. 
right? The Lord resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's what we read all throughout Proverbs, that the fool, the fool, the fool who turns his back on the Lord, who resists the Lord. But when there's this, the ignorance and, and the, the, the simple-mindedness that's also humble, there's the grace of the Lord, right? The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me is what the psalmist says. I was brought down and he saved me. And verse seven, it says, return to your rest, O my soul. I love that. Return to your rest. The, the work of the Lord to give rest to our soul. Jeremiah six, verse 16 says, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. The Lord was crying out to Israel in Jeremiah's day, just go back to these things. It's like what we read about in the New Testament. You've left your first love. Come back to your first love. Go back to those other things. Return to that and you'll have rest. When we leave the Lord, we have no rest. When we come back to him, when we go back to those old paths where the good way is and we walk in it, we find rest for our souls. Unfortunately for Israel in that time, it says in Jeremiah 6.16, but they said we will not walk in it. And we know as we study Jeremiah what the end result of that was, was judgment that came. Jesus tells us in Matthew 11.29, you guys know it, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls when we take his yoke upon us, when, when we just simply join ourselves to him, when we humble ourselves under that yoke of training, that yoke of, of being bound together with the Lord, when we humble ourselves under that, we have rest for our souls as he trains us, as he teaches the simple as he teaches us who are naive about spiritual things, he, he gives us rest for our soul. It's a beautiful picture, no longer striving. And I love that, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. He's given you good things is what that says. The Lord has just given you good there. It's beautiful. Uh, just this picture of the Lord's grace. Verse eight, it says, for the Lord, um, sorry, uh, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. So beautiful. My soul has been delivered, my entire being from death, my eyes from tears, the sorrow that he felt he was delivered from, and my feet from falling. Now he can walk before the Lord without stumbling. It's just this beautiful total salvation that we see for the psalmist here from the Lord. For you have delivered my soul from death. You have. He loves the Lord because of this deliverance. And because of this deliverance, our soul being delivered from death, his eyes from tears, his feet from falling, he then says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. This, this statement of faith, the Lord's done it for me. I, I know I can trust him and I'm going to get through this. I'm going to walk before him in the land of the living. It's beautiful. Just this whole picture. Uh, Isaiah 25 verse 8, it says, He will swallow up death forever. 
and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It's a promise of what the Messiah will do, of what the Lord will do. You guys know John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He delivers us from death. He deals with our sorrow and, and he keeps our feet from falling. If we're walking with him, he's given us uh, his spirit to teach us, his word to teach us, to guide us, to empower us. This is echoed in Psalm 56, verse 13. You have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of the living? It's just this beautiful picture. Here's the salvation. What's the reason for the salvation? To walk before him. To walk with him. To have a relationship with him. To be obedient to him. To be his friend. To walk with him. I will walk before the Lord. It's not just I'm going to be saved and now live my life. It's no, I'm going to be saved and I'm going to walk with the Lord. That's the, the reason for salvation there. Verse 10 uh, and 11 are a little bit difficult because of how they've been translated. It says, I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. The way we have it in the New King James, at least, it, it combines, I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted, almost saying like, uh, I believed wrongly or in my haste, that I'm greatly afflicted, and I said in my haste, all men are liars. But really, this I am, I believed is speaking up at to verse 8 and verse 9 of believing in the Lord's salvation and the work that he's going to do. And in spite of these other things where he spoke, I am greatly afflicted, and I said in my haste, all men are liars, yet I still believed. The Bible Knowledge Commentary, it says this, God is the only one trustworthy. The, the words I believed refer to Psalm 116, verse 9. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That is, he believed that he would live. This was his confidence, even though he was greatly afflicted and felt that he had been deceived by all who apparently said he would not be delivered. Faced with certain death, he knew that God was trustworthy, so he cried out to him. It's this statement of faith. Even though I was greatly afflicted, even though I, I've said in my haste, all men are liars, and I, I, I've said all of these things, even though I've kept my faith and believed in the Lord. And, and it's this, this firm trust in the faithfulness of the Lord. And that then shows us where Paul quotes this in 2 Corinthians, why Paul quotes it the way he quotes it. Um, there, uh, once you turn with me to chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Uh, verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And listen to the, the harmony here of Psalm 116 in this. He says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. 
We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That's a, a promise we don't always claim. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, and here's the quote, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you for all things are for your sakes that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And verse 16 says, therefore we do not lose heart. And it goes on. Beautiful. But that's why Paul quotes it the way he quotes it there. It's not this mistaken belief of just being, I, I, I thought I was afflicted, but really I'm not. No, it's because even though I'm afflicted, I trust the Lord that he's going to take me through. That's what Paul was saying. We're hard pressed. We're, we're, we're perplexed. We're persecuted. We're, we're struck down, but we're not crushed. We're not in despair. We're not forsaken. We're not destroyed because we trust in Jesus. I have faith. Therefore, I believe. I've spoken. I believe. It's beautiful. Go back to Psalm 116. Verse 12, it says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Uh, it's beautiful. It's this turning around. It's not, uh, what do I need to do so that God will listen to me? What do I need to do so that I can be saved? It's not any of those things. It's, it's what, should I, what can I give back to the Lord? For all the things that he's done for me. Is there even anything I can do? Is there anything? What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? That word benefits is, is beautiful. It's, it's in the Hebrew. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. It's tagmul. And it means an act of grace. What shall I give to the Lord for, for all of these acts of grace? towards me. When we look at our lives, we should recognize all the acts of grace that the Lord has had for us and say, Lord, what can I give back to you? What can I, what can I render to you? I, I read it uh, several um, long, probably months ago now, but uh, I didn't realize as I read it that time that it was actually quoting this verse here, but it's love constraining to obedience by William Cowper. It's an old hymn. He says, no strength of nature can suffice to serve the Lord aright. So not by flesh. And what she has, what strength she has, she misapplies for want of clear light. Speaking of that simple-mindedness. How long beneath the law I lay in bondage and distress. I toiled the precept to obey, but toiled without success. Then, in the past, to obtain from, abstain from outward sin was more than I could do. Now, if I feel its power within, the, sin, the power of sin within, I feel I hate it too. There's that change. Then all, then, all my servile works were done 
a righteousness to raise, but now freely chosen in the Son, I freely choose his ways. What shall I do was then the word that I may worthier grow. What shall I render to the Lord is my inquiry now. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. It's a choice that we have now because of what the Lord has done, his grace. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Here's what we do. Verse 13. This is so beautiful. I will take up the cup of salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. What do we render to the Lord? Taking up that cup of salvation. Taking up what he has freely offered to us and calling upon his name. That's what he desires of us. To take up that cup of salvation. This blew me away as I was studying this. That verse 13 It literally says, I will raise the cup of Jesus and call upon the name of the Lord. In the Hebrew, it says, I will take the cup of Yeshua and call upon the Shem of Yahweh, the name of the Lord. This psalm, I didn't touch on it before because I wanted to wait till I get to this part, but this psalm is one of the Hallel Psalms. The Hallel Psalms uh, 115 through 118 uh, were, uh, actually it's 111, I think, through 118, were read during the Passover feast. The first uh, three psalms, or two or three psalms, were read prior to the Passover. Psalm 114 through 118 were read after the Passover. At the Last Supper, it talks about as the Jesus and his disciples were celebrating the Passover meal. They had some hymns that they sang before, which were probably those first few psalms, these Hillel psalms. What they sang afterwards as Jesus and the disciples left the upper room and went out up to the Garden of Gethsemane were these psalms. This psalm specifically was one of the ones that they, that they most likely Uh, sang, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. What's the cup of salvation? Do you guys remember what happened at that last supper? What did Jesus do? What did he say? Luke 22 verse 20, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, after the Passover meal, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. That's the cup, the cup of salvation. This psalm not only speaks of the deliverance and the salvation that we can experience in the Lord, but this psalm also deliberately speaks to what Jesus experienced prior to going to the Garden of Gethsemane and what took place on the cross. This was also Jesus' crying out to his father. He knows his father hears him. He's got the pains of death surrounding him, the pangs of Sheol. 
He's finding trouble and sorrow, and he's crying out to the Lord. Remember the agony that he experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane, the agony he experienced on the cross. And yet he knows and trusts that the Lord has salvation for him. Remember what he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if, if it's your will, I pray that this cup pass for me. That reference to the cup. But, the, but he knew it was his Father's will. To, to go to the cross, to do that work. And then here's this crying out of faith that we have where we were in thanksgiving to the Lord and what Jesus had where he says to his, his father, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Jesus, in faith, in obedience to his father, went to the cross and did that and gave us the opportunity to partake of this cup of salvation where we can turn around and call upon the name of the Lord. We can take his salvation and we can say, I will pay my vows to the Lord. Um, uh, John Fox in Fox's Book of Martyrs, he talks about uh, a martyr uh, whose name was, uh, I forget his first name, but his last name was Philpot. This is a funny name, is it, Englishman? Um, and... Uh, in Smithfield in England, he was about to be martyred. And, and uh, right before he was, I believe he was going to be burned at the stake, he, his, his last words were, I will pay my vows to the Lord here in Smithfield, which was the town where he was going to be burned. And it was this idea, he says, I, I've said, I'm going to call upon the Lord all of my life. I'm going to be obedient unto death. I will pay my vows. And that's what we say as Christians, as believers, as we live our lives. Maybe we're not experiencing threat of death here and now. But in all situations, we say, I'm going to pay my vows. I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord throughout all my life in the presence of all his people. I'm going to call out to him. I'm going to be obedient to him unto death, following him no matter what. That's what the Lord desires. That's what we render to him, taking freely that cup of salvation and then walking before him in a relationship with him. And that's where it jumps in, verse 15, where it all just kind of falls into place. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Death that was sorrow, tightness, oppression, bonds, uh, the fear of the pit, sorrow, floods of, of unrighteousness, all of these things now death is turned around and precious in the Lord's sight is the death of his saints because of his work and the salvation that he does. It's precious. That word saints, it, it, it speaks specifically of those who have a relationship with the Lord. A saint is not just someone who's done a miracle and the church is recognized as being holy. A saint is someone who has a, a relationship with the Lord. That's simply it. A, a relationship. You've been set aside to be walking with the Lord and calling upon him. If we have that, that's that promise. The Lord sees and the Lord knows. Uh, if you come to your deathbed, your death is precious in the sight of the Lord because you are precious. He knows you. Uh, your, your obedience to him and what you've done in your life, the Lord sees and knows. It's just this beautiful picture that we have where uh, before we were simple-minded and foolish and not doing uh, the right things out of ignorance. 
And now we just see this, this, this rest that we can take all the way through to the end of our lives. We can be on our deathbed and say, Lord, I, I've chosen to walk with you. And because of your faithfulness, I have these promises. And I can trust and know that, that I am pleasing to you because of you and your faithfulness. It's this beautiful grace that we have. Verse 16, it says, O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. It means to throw open. You've thrown open my bonds. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. Remember in verse 4, that, that just guttural crying out to the Lord. Oh, now deliver me, Lord. That crying out. That's turned around here in verse 16 where it says, oh, now I'm your servant. The request, the crying out, the, the, the passionate pleas for deliverance are now turned into, Lord, just let me be your servant. I'm your servant. Uh, the son of your maidservant, speaking of that humility. You've thrown open my bonds it wasn't this casual, slow untying. No, they're thrown open. You've loosed me. And I'm going to offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. It's so beautiful. The other background to this whole psalm, you guys, is that this is speaking of and ties in with the peace offering that we read about in the book of Leviticus. The peace offering was one of the several sacrifices that were commanded. They believe the peace offering was actually taking place before the law was given uh, to Moses because there's certain portions of scripture that talk about the same sort of rituals happening. Um, but in Leviticus 3 and 7, we don't have time to go there. Um, but the peace offering, specifically of vows being paid to the Lord, um, there was a blood sacrifice where it was a bull or a goat or a sheep um, that was slaughtered. Uh, and it was offered to the Lord. It was slaughtered. The blood uh, and the fat of that animal were kept and, and the fat was burned to the Lord as his portion. Uh, a small portion of that sacrifice was given to the Levite, to the priest that was there performing the sacrifice as their portion, as their food. The rest of it was given by the Lord to the entire family and the person making that offering as a feast before the Lord that they were to partake in the Lord's house. So here's this whole picture of a sacrifice of atonement for sin, covering for sin with that sacrifice of peace and flipped right around in that sacrifice is now this feast of relationship. And it's not a feast that's partaken at home, at your home, you're in the Lord's house. So you now have been invited into the closest, most intimate fellowship with the Lord that you can have. That was the peace offering that was taking place. And that's what all of this is also speaking of. This is a beautiful picture of here's the, the salvation that's offered. The Lord has done the work. The Lord has paid the price. The Lord has done this. And now here's this feast of fellowship between the Lord and his people and this blessing 
And that's what we have as we walk in salvation, as we follow the Lord, the work that Christ did on the cross for us and the work that happens when we place our faith in him and we call out to him, we have this peace that we can have for him and this peace offering where then we, we make this vow, Lord, I'm just, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to continue in this relationship that you've established and, and just this blessedness of fellowship, of relationship that we have with the Lord. Uh, it's so beautiful and amazing for us. We need to stop in our uh, minds getting so caught up with uh, doing things in our own strength, of getting bound up by you know bondage to sin or the condemnation of sin hanging over us. And we need to freely come to the Lord, his throne of grace we have access to boldly come before his throne of grace and we can ask him for freedom for deliverance for forgiveness we can ask him for the things that we need and we can trust him and know that he will give it to us because we have this relationship with him he's made the way for us it's just this beautiful access that we have because of what he's done and now we can just walk before him and to be obedient to him to abide in him be in the word. This, this psalm, of all the psalms that we've studied so far, uh, was, is probably the biggest blessing to me personally just in studying it. Just seeing these layers and layers and layers that are in there of what the Lord has done for us. And just seeing it fall and, and come together, the work that Christ has done, the work that happens as we follow him, and just these beautiful pictures in there. And that's what we have throughout all the scriptures. The scriptures are not meant to be boring and dull. Um, they're boring and dull if we're not truly seeking the Lord in them, if we're not spending time and laboring in them and asking the Lord and asking the Spirit to open them up to us. And the scriptures, there's just so much in them for us. Uh, and the Lord wants us to fall in love with the scriptures so that we fall in love with him like the beginning of this psalm. I love the Lord because he has heard. The scriptures are there for us to walk by faith in them. As we walk by faith, we get to know God's character and his nature, which encourages us and grows our relationship. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would bless these people. I pray that they would be encouraged tonight as your spirit speaks to them, Lord, through your word, not through the words that I said, but through your word, Lord, that you would continue to speak to their hearts and just encourage them. We ask this in your name. Amen.